This audio is from the Axis Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and is part of our Advent sermon series, Light in the Darkness. For more information, please visit theaxischurch.org. O Son of God, we wait for Thee, we long for Thine appearing. You guys are the fortunate ones. In fact, I can't even imagine what it must be like to be you this morning, sitting in these chairs participating in something you call Advent. For the word Advent means arrival, but not just any arrival. The arrival of Israel's Messiah, the arrival of our Messiah. Oh, how fortunate you are. Because we can hardly even conceive of that anymore. See, the God who our forefathers experienced as clearly as a pillar of fire against a night sky has gone silent. All the prophets have vanished. They say that the opposite of love isn't hate. It's indifference. It's silence. Yes, we rebelled and sought after other gods, but we never thought Yahweh would truly abandon us. Could it be? I mean, I know that God said through Isaiah, Behold, the Lord will empty the earth and make it desolate, and the world languishes and withers for they have transgressed the law and violated the statues and broken the everlasting covenant. But surely this wasn't the final word. Did not the Lord also say through the same prophet, break forth into singing, you waste place of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. And Jeremiah, yes, God did say this. I will make Jerusalem a heap of ruins and I will make the cities of Judah a desolation without inhabitant. He did say that. But did not Yahweh later also say through Jeremiah, yeah, I've, I've hidden my face from this city because of their evil, but behold, I will bring to it health and healing. And I will heal them and reveal to them abundance of prosperity and security. I will restore the fortunes of Judah and Israel. I will cleanse them from all the guilt of all their sin against me. And I will forgive all the guilt of their sin and rebellion against me. See, judgment was never supposed to be the final word. God promised that he would come and heal us that he would forgive us, and, and he swore not based on our goodness. He swore based on his name. Is this not what Ezekiel said in chapter 36? Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I will act, but for the sake of my holy name. Yes, this is exactly what Yahweh, our God, had told us. So what has happened? Is it possible 
that we have sinned so bad that the God of covenant is no longer interested in covenant? Is it possible that the God of redemption is no longer willing to redeem us? Is it possible that the God who created the world with his words has gone silent forever? We don't know. He hasn't spoken to us in 400 years. Well, earlier I said that you were the fortunate ones, but I suppose I am fortunate in my own way. Though I'm an old man now, when I was a child, I still had my great-grandpas. They were the elders in our community, and they always seem larger than life to me. Their bones seem to be made out of bronze to my tiny eyes. These men were my heroes, so when they spoke, I listened. And I never listened more closely when then they would recall the, the ancient stories, stories that they had learned from their grandfathers. If I close my eyes even for a minute, I'm immediately transported back, sitting around a campfire at night beneath the cold sky with the whole community gathered around. Then one of my great-grandpas would start to speak, and everyone would hush. And before long, there wasn't just a fire on the ground, but there was a fire growing in his eyes. Oh, how they loved to tell the stories. Especially, they loved to speak of the Exodus, how Yahweh had saved our people from slavery in Egypt. I still remember how that one began. They would quote this scripture from Exodus 2. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew how those last three words would send a holy chill up my spine. The creator of all kept his gaze fixed on Israel. Out of all the inhabitants of this expansive world, Yahweh heard us. He inclined towards us. He knew us. And then after they'd finished going through the whole drama of the story, with Moses returning to Egypt and confronting Pharaoh, and the ten plagues, and the first Passover, and finally the escape through the Red Sea, they'd say, Young ones, though Yahweh has hidden his face these days, don't ever think for a moment he isn't still with us. Just as he saw our father's struggle in Egypt, God still sees us now. He knows. He has not forgotten us. Remember, they were in slavery in Egypt for 400 years then. Though we don't understand his ways, Yahweh is never slow to act. We must always believe. As God brought salvation then, young ones, he will soon come and bring an even greater salvation to us soon. Then they would go on to recount to us ways that Yahweh had proved his faithfulness to Israel over and over again. Oh, the stories they would launch into. They, they would talk about how God used Gideon 
and an army of just 300 to defeat an entire army, proving that he was the Lord of hosts, or how God empowered the prophet Elijah to destroy single-handedly 150 prophets of Baal, proving that he is the one true God, or how God used a woman named Esther to influence an evil king and to save the Jews from annihilation, proving that he was the king over all kings and that he will preserve his people. Or they would tell us how God used a shepherd boy named David to slay a giant, proving that he will not be mocked and that though we are small, he will ultimately triumph over all of our enemies. Oh, how I would hang on every one of their words, not just because the stories were captivating, but because they still spoke them as if they believed them. Because they did. Yet there was one part of the story that I, I never quite understood. It, it was strange to my mind, and it still haunts me to this day. It, it was about how Israel would ultimately be redeemed, not by animal sacrifices we give each year, but by the sacrifice of one Isaiah called the servant. It seemed like a strange name to give for a savior. I, I remember them reciting from the prophet, surely the servant will bear our griefs and he'll carry our sorrows. Or the servant was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him will be chastisement that brings us peace. And with his wounds, Israel will be healed. And then they would often end by praying to Yahweh to send this servant Messiah to save us. How strange. Well, when I became a teenager, they all started to pass away. And when they died, something else in me started to fade. I couldn't have given it a name then, but I can now. It was hope. Sure, after them, I, I still had my grandfathers. And yeah, they would tell us the old stories, but they didn't do it as often. And when they did, the only fire was the one on the ground. There wasn't a fire in their eyes anymore. And then as I grew into my 20s and 30s, they started to pass away as well, and, and so did the stories. My father was a good man. He worked hard, but he kept mostly to himself, and he wasn't much for stories. Sure, he still observed the Jewish traditions. And sure, we still observed Passover together, probably the only time during the year that my dad recited the scripture. But the fire that my great-grandfathers possessed, well, that felt like ancient history to me. And oh, how this broke my heart. Because I could feel my own faith starting to crack and how desperately I yearned for my father to, to rekindle the flame and to speak again with conviction and to baptize my imagination with the promise of Yahweh afresh, to speak as if he spoke on behalf of God. My heart was longing for a prophet. But there were no more prophets, as I've already said, and my father no longer even quoted the ones we had. Oh, the power there is in a father's silence when you are looking to him to show you the way. However, it was during this time that I remembered something one of my great-grandpas had said to me many years back. He said, child, 
Remember, Yahweh doesn't have any grandchildren. Someday you must seek him for yourself. You must be the one who guards the great story until he speaks again. Well, I wanted to, but I couldn't find my voice. And for a season, winter descended on my own faith. And all the promises of God started to shed their leaves. And their once vibrant colors became cold and gray. It felt like the road to Zion had been blocked off for good. How could it be any different? My God had gone silent. And my father didn't have much to say about it. Yeah, we still went through the religious motions. We were decent Jews as far as that goes, but we lived functionally as if Yahweh didn't even exist anymore. Maybe you can relate. Maybe that's you today. Maybe this winter season seems to mirror your spiritual life. Yeah, there's a certain level of religious activity and your your synagogue attendance has been decent. But God has seemed silent for so long, you have started to wonder when or if he'll speak to you again. Maybe you used to hang on to his promises with all your strength, but you have grown tired and your grip has started to slip. Maybe the fire of faith in the hearth of your heart has been reduced to just an ember or two. Well, you aren't alone. I remember that feeling. We all remember that feeling. And so did the psalmist. That's why he began the 13th Psalm this way. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my own soul and have sorrow in my heart all that day? Well, this became the cry of my heart for a longer season than I'd like to admit. But Yahweh wasn't done with me. Yahweh wouldn't let my flame die completely. No, he sent a holy wind to kick up the smoldering ashes, and I still remember the moments. My father had gone away with some of the other men, so I was stopping by their house to check on my mother. And I walked through the front door and called her name, but I didn't hear an answer. So I made my way slowly to the back room to see if she was napping. And she wasn't. When I breached the threshold, I looked down and I I saw her on her knees by her bed, praying. Well, she had long remained the champion of the faith in our family, so it, it wasn't strange to see her praying. She did that often. But what really struck me was what she was holding in her hand. It was a piece of parchment, and on it was written the 40th Psalm, which begins like this. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me. And he heard my cry. I couldn't even make it past that verse. Though I knew it well, something new happened to me in that moment. Maybe it was the image of my faithful mother praying with it, but whatever it was, it felt like a dam in my heart had burst, releasing years of pain, which began flowing out of my eyes. And I sat next to her, and, and I wept. But my emotions didn't startle her. Rather, her kind eyes rose to mine, as she took hold of my hands. And I said to her through sobs, how can you still wait patiently when he has been so silent for so long? How can you still believe? 
And that sweet, sturdy gaze absorbed my pain without flinching. Then she softly spoke. I've been waiting for God to bring you to this place, my son. I've heard you lament many times that Yahweh has remained silent. But son, your thinking is too small. Yahweh still speaks every day. Look at the barley you just brought me. Where do you think this comes from? It comes from the hand of the Lord. And son, look out this window. Look at the beauty of that sunset. Is, is this not Yahweh declaring his glory? It is, if we have ears to hear it. But even more than this, my son, we, we have his promises that the prophets have given that he will soon come to save Israel. Well, you laugh when I say soon, do you? You say, too much time has already passed for him to make good? My son, do you remember how long our people were enslaved in Egypt? That's right, 400 years. We've been here before, and God is not slow as we count slowness. He is always right on time. Messiah will come, and he will redeem Israel. And I believe this with every fiber of my being. For now, it is for us to wait patiently for the Lord. And then she said this, and I'll never forget it. My son, need I remind you what that word patient means? It means there will be pain in the waiting. For patience literally means to suffer. This is why we are called a patient when we go to see the doctor. You say the pain of waiting is evidence against the Almighty? I say it was part of the promise the whole time. We must wait patiently for the Lord. For in time, he will send his suffering servant. You could say his patient servant who will bear all of our iniquity so that we might be made righteous. My son, the Lord is allowing you to feel this aching now so that when Messiah comes, you will know it is he who your heart had longed for. And as her words flowed out, they came like a holy wind on the embers of my faith. It was as if one single ray of light had cut through the overcast sky in my mind. Yahweh had not forgotten his promise. He had told us to wait patiently. Well, that night, I lit a campfire and then convened the community, and I told them the story. And that story began like this. <clears throat> During those many days, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, and they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant. God saw his people, and God knew. So yes, friends, on this first Sunday of Advent, we feel the tension of those who endured those silent years before his coming but we glory in the reality that our scriptures, as the fortunate ones, now contain verses like this, Galatians 4, 4 and 5. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, 
so that we might receive adoption. We praise God for this. We really are the fortunate ones. We have seen things that angels long to see. Think of that. Yet we feel our own tension in this season as we live in the already but not yet of redemptive history. Christ has come once to make atonement for sin, but all of creation still rages, longing for his return when he will reverse the curse, make all things new. And like our spiritual ancestors, we must wait patiently, even though there is always pain in the patience. That's what the word means. This is why we must remember the words of the Apostle Peter written to those who were weary with waiting. Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that what the Lord one day is as of a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any of you should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Praise the Lord that we have a patient Savior. Praise the Lord that we have a patient God. The Lord has not yet returned because he has scores more he wants to save, and this is worth waiting patiently for. So let's use this Advent season as a sort of vigil for us. Let us feel the deepest longing of our hearts. Let us repent of worldly ambition and digital distraction that has numbed us to this longing. And let us look to Christ, who is the only true consolation. Well, now we are going to enjoy the sacrament of communion together, which is a means of God's grace to help us wait patiently. Communion also reminds us that even right now, consider this, Jesus is waiting patiently to feast with us at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Listen to how he institutes this in Luke 22. This is Christ speaking. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Christ is waiting. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body. It was given for you. Do this in, in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup is poured out for you. It is the new covenant in my blood. There will be communion servers up front here. And they can come now, and there's a communion table in the back. We come now as a vigil, remembering Christ and longing for his return. If you need prayer, there will be a prayer team in the back. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a patient God. And Father, we thank you that our confidence in your covenant towards us is not based on our performance. It's based solely on you swearing by your own name. And we thank you that Christ came into time and space 2,000 years ago to die on a Roman cross and to rise again, securing this covenant. 
We thank you that all that the Father has given him, he will not lose a single one. Father, if there's any here who are not sure that they are covered by the blood of Christ, if, if they do not know if they are in this covenant love, I pray that you would break through with light this morning. They would see their need of a Savior and that they would see that Christ truly is the consolation. In his name we pray. Amen. This audio is from the Axis Church in Nashville, Tennessee. It is part of our Advent sermon series, Light in the Darkness. For more information, please visit theaxischurch.org. Son of God, we wait for thee. We long for thine appearing.